Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. We live in a global economy where one click on a website has a product being delivered to your doorstep the very next day. But that always wasn't the case. And how does that happen? Who makes that happen? Welcome to Shut Up and Go Trade. I'm your host and trade diva, Lori Ann. This podcast dives into the fascinating world of import and export, but with a little comedic twist. See, back years ago, trade had to deal with AOL dial-up and fax machines. Not so much the e-commerce of today. Are you ready to hear stories from trade experts on documentation, logistics, trade finance, and of course the U.S. regulations? Well, let's shut up and go trade because here we go. Hello, everyone. It's your trade diva here, and I am so excited to have you part of our very first episode of Shut Up and Go Trade. Before we get started, I just want to let you know that you may hear some raw and non-PC language. This is strictly for entertainment purposes only. At the end, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. And with that, let's get started. So for the listeners out there, first of all, thank you so much for tuning in. And yes, this is the very first episode of Shut Up and Go Trade. I decided on this journey during 2020, you know, that that year just screwed up so many people, so many people's lives and what they were doing. And stuff happens and got a little kick in the butt to say, you know what, let's do this. I'm sitting here today with my good friend and mentor, and I know he hates it when I call him that kind of stuff, but he really is. This is Ralphie, and he's going to be sort of, not I wouldn't say a regular fixture, but he's going to be on quite a few times because he's, like I said, he's been a mentor of mine and has helped me out throughout the years, and he's been a part of my journey. We've laughed. We've cried. Oh, and have we argued? (laughs) (laughs) But it's been all good. And uh, so, yes, he knows my background, my history. He's been part of a lot of ventures. This is about international trade. And some people are like, well, how boring of a topic is that? Well, that's why we're making this podcast is we're going to make it fun. There have been so many stories and happenings and events that both of us throughout our international career have experienced, and we're going to bring those stories to life. And it's all relative to the topics that we're going to be talking about. These are hard topics. We're talking trade finance, logistics, documentation, and of course, the good old compliance (laughs) that just blows people's minds, the things that we've learned throughout the years. and. You know, my my international career was kind of by default. I did not go to school to be in trade. Schools even today, they don't teach a lot of these things that we've learned through our careers. And uh, one of the best parts of being an international has been the teaching aspect that I also happen to fall into. And I, I want to bring that to life for people to make trade fun. It is, it is such a rewarding 
career. It's exciting. Never a dull moment. I have never been one of those people that have said, oh, it's Monday. I loved what I've done. I started off in international trade. I was working at a distributorship company in the test and calibration industry. And I was working the proverbial temp job. I was there three months and the vice president or the sales manager, I forget what his title was, he comes to me and is like, hey, Lori, we've got this international position. Do you want it? And I'm thinking, oh, salary and benefits. Sure, why not? Well, sit down and they said, here's your desk. And by the way, all the international customers are on credit hold. What? (laughs) Okay. Well, this is going to be more challenging than I thought. And um, opened up a drawer and there's like this tissue papery documents in these drawers. Bank of China, Bank of Pakistan, uh, these weird, weird things. And I'm like, what the heck is this? And and then I asked, who's our bank? Found out the bank name. And called up our rep, and it happened to be Ralphie. <laughs> Lucky me. <laughs> Lucky you. You had no idea what you were in no, for that day. No, no idea. So I call him up and I said, Ralph, I'm I'm new at this. I have no idea what these things are. Described it to him, and he goes, Oh, those are letters of credit. What does that mean? I had no idea. Again, I did not go to school. I went to business school, but I had no idea what that meant. And he came in and he sat down with me, literally rolled up the sleeves and said, okay, I'm going to teach you letters of credit 101. What was like an hour and a half or something? That was just the first. (laughs) It was like, here you go. Here's $10 million to go submit to Mm -hmm. get paid. Okay. And that was the springboard to how I started in trade is just calling up my banker and Mm -hmm. saying, what is this? And I literally had to learn as I go on that job. It was a fantastic first job to have. And you got lucky because most banks, the first person that's going to come out may not be the international person. Right. And you Right. Usually you would get your the relationship manager. The relationship or somebody. manager who is the quarterback yeah. of. No, you came right out. I know. And that's and that's a that's a testament to a good relationship manager. A good relationship manager will find the right product person mm-hmm. or service person to come out and address that particular need. If they even know what you're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. So yeah, I that was very fortunate and having been up here in Rochester and having an international person domicile up here was like Yes, that was like, you know, check that lucky box off right there. And so, yeah, but then from there, it was learning documentation, putting in the the sales orders. International orders are different than domestic orders. And this was also during, I don't want to completely age myself, but we had AOL (laughs) dial-up and fax machines. That was our electronic way of doing the 24 hour world of international mm-hmm. business, you know, walk Which in. Which made it 24 hours, by the it, way, thanks at AOL. Right, so, yeah. right. Oh, could walk in the morning and all the faxes are all <laughs> over the floor, the rolled up paper. And I got to, yeah. So, so dealing with the systems then, 
with importing the the data into the computer. Those big honking computers, yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and the fields weren't completely compatible with what the international order needed. Mm-hmm. So I have to deal with working with the the computer people at the time of I need this specific field. They had to rewrite some of the the ERP systems and stuff mm-hmm. because these fields they were critical for the international order. But it was, you know, mm-hmm. there was that quirkiness. Dealing with terminology, there's a lot of unspoken written laws in international. Inco terms. You say that word and some people will look at you like you got four heads. Other people will be like, oh, yes, then that's that's me. And I just dove into anything that came across my way and said, I got to learn this inside out. Because Inco terms tells you what the seller's responsibility is and what the buyer's is. But also back then, if you looked for advice, you there were a lack of people out there who would take something complicated like that and try to make it simple or less complex. Hence the idea for your podcast, because there's still right. that misunderstanding of international. Trade. Right. And that, and that was actually the case. And you still see it to this day. You might call up your forwarder. They always say, go to your forwarder. And then they scare the bejeepers out of you. They use that, that fear factor mm-hmm. to prey on you, to, Buy more services. Oh, I know foreigners now are probably screaming at the computer or the radio right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're listening and saying, but what are you talking guilty. about? Banks as well. So it's, it's all yeah. of us. Yeah. They help you only to a certain amount because they needed to keep you on mm-hmm. the hook. Also, back in those days, I would find a seminar I wanted to go to. Like the Chamber of Commerce was putting on seminars. You have to ask your boss for time off, usually a half a day, Mm -hmm. because you have to drive to the seminar. These were all in person. And the person teaching it might not be the absolute best resource. But little by little, reading up and, and, you know, sorting through the weeds myself, figured out a lot. Mm -hmm. It was also in the 90s. This was also one of the best happenings for me is like I said, I was in the test and calibration equipment industry. My main territory was the Middle East in the oil and gas industry. That was one of our Mm -hmm. heavy markets that we served. I was a single female back in the 90s, early 90s, dealing with the Middle Mm -hmm. East. That's a challenge in and of itself. That was the most Fabulous challenge mm-hmm. because yes, the some customers would call in. We actually used the phone, not all on email. We used the phone, dial-up phone, landlines, and they were men, and they wanted to speak to my boss. So I would the sales domestic sales manager. He would come over and he would just you are talking to the person in charge. He would back me up because he didn't know anything about international, and he there was just that. You needed to have a little bit of patience and cultural understanding mm-hmm. that that's how they are there. You cannot be all offensive, like this offensive world we have going on now. You had to really take, you know, I had to sit back and just, okay, this is how we get things done and but, deal with it. But your company believed in you and the opportunities for international business. Yes. 
think about the companies that have someone like you who sees the opportunities, goes to their manager, and the manager would just focus on domestic business. Mm -hmm. And you could use that kind of as an example of how many of those companies that domestic business virtually disappeared. Yes. So there was a vision with your company and within your management and you that there's an opportunity for international. I, I had a little bit of, of headbutting with the president of mm -hmm. the company. He was an MBA and yes, domestically, you know, they were making 10, 20 million. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the figures. And then there was this, okay, we have international orders. I guess we should look at. And when I, first started and I was the only person in the international department. <laughs> you know, it was me. He so focused on the domestic, it's we know what we're doing. We have this way of doing it here. And he was a little inflexible as far as the international side. The distribution manufacturing sectors, it's ship out everything you can at the end of the month to make numbers. And you know, under a letter of credit and such, you can't do that because how are you going to get paid if we've already shipped the product out? So, and there's things to follow, mm -hmm. but you know, sometimes we would butt heads, but uh, you know, we've always done it this way. Why do we got to change? Well, well, what do you think the percentage of companies, right, that have just focused on domestic through good times, bad times? and had opportunities to export. I would put it a number as 40% of those companies are no longer around or no longer successful because they didn't recognize opportunities. That's a good good right? question to, to look up some data on. Because, you, you know, like back when, um, what was it, 2008, 2009, when we had the, exactly. the collapse, the, yes. the economic collapse. And what was interesting to find is that companies that were doing international survived that that's a fantastic was, yes exactly yeah, they survived they it. pivoted and mm -hmm. it wasn't small medium large pivoted and i loved working with the companies especially the small exporters who recognized that right away mm -hmm. and said we're screwed domestically yep we need to look so let's call in our team of individuals that we recognize that could help us and that's a great point. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and I was traveling overseas. I was in Europe during the time talking about everybody wanted to know about what mm. the heck is going on in the US. And I'm like, yeah, but internationally, yes. everything's booming because, well, this will be a topic, of course, was that prices, mm -hmm. you know, our dollar slipped. So it was less expensive for overseas people to buy our stuff. Exactly. Weak you know, dollar. The weak grade for exports. Right? People yes. don't understand that. Yes. So yeah, so exports boomed during that time. Well, and well, they not only don't don't understand that, they they think the foreign exchange, that part of it is so complicated, but it's as right. simple as that. Weak dollar, good for exports. Strong right. dollar, good for import. There's also some interesting data such as ninety-six percent of the consumer market is outside of the United mm -hmm. States. So if you're only tapping into a 4% possible target market, it's like trying to get the dart into the bullseye, mm -hmm. whereas you have that whole, <laughs> whole other board that you can still get points and, on. And Why are you limiting your company to that? Exactly. But not knowing how to respond to that, thinking right. that, okay, great. I've got this fantastic market, but... How do I sell? Right. Do I 
I want cash in advance, or how do I how do I negotiate those terms? And hence, bringing in again mm-hmm. internally, you'll need to convince some companies, right, that they should be understanding and more terms. Going back to you know where where I started and such is it was from the ground floor mm-hmm. to your point of well, how do we market this? And yes, they had sales agents in various countries around the globe to help with that. But the marketing aspect back then was not like today. You know, you have a website, you're global. Mm-hmm. Boom. Your people can find you. Back then it was we had a catalog. We had a legit catalog. And going into some other countries, color was an issue. The first catalog they put out, they just put out the same catalog everywhere. And huge issue over in China because of the color mm-hmm. or same with, you know, the major market for international was the Middle East. There's certain things you can't have culturally. You know, it goes back to everybody. hears the story about the Nova, the mm-hmm. car. I had one. Yeah. Nova in Spanish is don't go. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you going to sell that in the Latin American market? Exactly. exactly. So learning cultural mm-hmm culturally, you know, things of that nature of, of doing it. But you know, again, to your point with the marketing, who are resources? Who were the resources? Well, we live up in America sometimes our arrogant ways to say how we can sell domestically. Why not? We can sell it the same way internationally. Yes. Very egotistical. And yeah. there are companies that have made their domestic catalog different than their international catalogs mm-hmm. and more focused were the ones who, and it's a, it's right. a sign of respect. Yes. Say, I'm going to tailor my catalog or my message to your specific country. And that was another function that I had to take on party of one mm-hmm. with the marketing group to say, okay, well, geographically we need to sector these out, which meant more of an expense. So of course that was always uh, it was, it's like international, the international side of a business has always been like the redheaded stepchild. Mm-hmm. We know it's there. Okay. We do have to tender to it and take care of it. But God, it's a pain in the ass sometimes for it, people. <laughs> because it, 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 it's a long sales. So in banking, right? You sell a deposit, you sell, you know, a cash management product. You're making fee income that week. Internationally, if I meet with a company, we're not going to see fee income possibly six months to a year. And and that long lead time, you know, again, in America, we're looking at the quick buck. Mm -hmm. But once you start, like, again, you talked about individually your company. Once you start exporting, you've got loyalty for life. Same on the banking side. If I'm working with exporters and I help them. We have a sticky, we have a company that's sticky, that's we have for life, that we're, we know they're going to bring all their products and services. The challenge is it's going to take a long time. Right, right. And well, that's, that's another good mm-hmm. point is the, the sales factor of having management or you know, ownership or whoever, the accountability of, well, how come I'm not seeing sales yet or something? It's mm-hmm. like, because these take time. You have to have a relationship with these people. Again, this is back in the days of they don't know who the heck you are. Mm. You know, just 
you can't and just jumping on an airplane and flying over not always cost effective or not possible. I'm dealing on the territory I couldn't get a visa to go visit because I'm a single female. Mm-hmm. That's not allowed. So how do you gain the trust and that relationship with these people to say, I will buy your product to the tune of ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars or something mm-hmm. more? So it's a different process. So Dealing with all of those elements on an international level, whether it's the language, it's the process, it's the documentation, what is needed, how do I get it there after I get the sale, how do I get paid, I became a sponge in those early years. And I went into all of these various levels of, I just wanted wanted to take it all in. Mm -hmm. I became obsessed almost. It literally was like a passion of mine. I have to learn this. Big companies, you have one little job function. Mm-hmm. You only do the, the finance side. You only do the shipping side. You only do... I went out and I searched it all. I also then changed jobs a few times. You know, back in the day, it was poo-pooed on mm-hmm. or looked down on if you had a lot of jobs right. on your resume, mm-hmm. right? Well, what I did, I was like, oh, no. I took jobs that were very specific in knowing the various parts of international. I've worked in logistics. I haven't worked in banking, but close enough. I've, (laughs) I mean, the letters of credit and Mm -hmm. the document side of getting paid. I did that hands-on. I didn't hand it off to Mm -hmm. somebody. I've also worked in companies that there wasn't anybody to hand it off to. I did not just hand it off to the forwarder to take care of. They're outsourcing it anyway. Well, I don't need all these layers of people handling. I should know. Exactly. And Ultimately, it, the responsibility is on the company. Gonna, and you and there are international sales directors like you who just said who decided I'm gonna learn as much as I can learn, and others who just got thrust into the job and didn't want it. Or, you know, it's a humbling experience sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So before, you know, it's a great thing that you know what you mm-hmm. said, how I helped you. But there took you know, some humbling experiences where I was feeling good about myself. I came up from New York City. I was the encyclopedia of international trade terms until I went to a round ter- table with other manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And I'm going under my spiel. And a very nice gentleman across the table said, with all due respect, Ralph, that's not the way we do it in the real world. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> yes. I took a class. Yes. Yeah, I went. Um, I'm not going to name. Yes, I did. Yes, uh, but I was I was at uh, the master's level, mm-hmm. and I was taking an international trade finance class because it was part of the curriculum, mm-hmm. and we were discussing letters of credit. And I'm just looking at the professor who had mm-hmm. never been out of the classroom, and I'm like, "That's not how it's done." Mm-hmm. And I literally said that out loud, and I said, "That, but that's not how it's done mm-hmm. in the real world." Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, he didn't quite like that. But everybody else sitting in the classroom finally was like, yeah. I think back to when I was trying to find help then. And I'm like, if I was new at doing international trade now, God dang, that would be so much easier. But I liked not having it so accessible because it made me learn. Mm -hmm. It made me find, it made me you know, search out and really, like I said, became a sponge and trying to learn this information. And then, you know, then even within that, as more I learned, I changed paths a little bit too. 
working, as I say, on both sides of the desk in the service side and then the customer side or the manufacturing side. Then I shifted into, well, I just brought up the International Business Council and I was I was fascinated and I admired everybody around the table. I was asked to be a part of it, which, oh my gosh, how I was honored. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, it was this honorable thing to be a part of. And I was sitting one day there and I said, I want that job someday. I wanted to run it. Age of 37, I got that job. And I'm like, oh my gosh, here I am. And dug deep into that world. And then I said, I'm making sure people know how to Mm -hmm. get information. It's not something to keep uh, under wraps and try to be all powerful or anything with having that information. So I want to get this out. And then I became a teacher of sorts or the consultant of sorts to companies who would call in for help. And what I really, what really got me humble into doing this is when people would say, I can literally pick up the phone and and ask you a question and you answer it. So then here I am at 37, running this organization and then saying, okay, I really want to get international business out into the to the mass public because everybody in my mind should be doing trade. Mm-hmm. It is fascinating. It keeps businesses sustainable mm-hmm. during, you know, the domestic collapse and everything. And I was like, I know I want everybody to do trade. And that was like my focus is I want to get all this information out. And then myself kept up on a learning journey and I started, you know, going to national organizations mm-hmm. and then uh, was on uh, a district export council and being more government. There's a lot of government resources mm-hmm. that people don't even understand or know about. And there's grants available from the government. Yes, the government does want to help you. There's a lot of free info lot of, and, and money. A lot of free info and money. Yes. Absolutely. And getting to know, you know, those people, those direct resources and then on a national level, um, like the National Association of Foreign Trade Zones or the American Association of Exporters and Importers, I became entrenched into those national organizations to learn just so much more. And then networking with all these mm-hmm. high-level people and companies. So then my resource base even opened up more. And I'm like, I'm doing this to get it out to more people. And that's what I, that was my focus when I, when I was running the organization of getting information and research. It's like, I'm not a know-it-all. I can't be a know-it-all. You know, our brains are only so big. And I'm like, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to get you to somebody. And then the certified global business professional oh, test. Oh, that's, like, that's going to be like, another, that's going to be another old. topic. Yes. How <laughs> stressful at 50 years old, I have to study And I couldn't fail a test because it's a certified global business professional. That is going to be a whole podcast discussion. But that's, but that's, but when you look at the fact, sometimes when you get a phone call, you're speaking with a company or an individual that they've been working on this deal for three or four months. You've got to be focused enough to be able to sort that conversation out Mm -hmm. in 10 minutes. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And there are times that I was confused about, okay, so who's the importer? Especially if they're a broker. This same guy yesterday I called, mm-hmm. he's a broker. So he's both an importer and an exporter. Oh, okay. And I threw that at him. He goes, 
I don't understand what the hell you're talking about. I said, well, you're buying and selling. You're importing and exporting. You're in the middle of this. So you've got some sweat equity. You need to work hard. Mm -hmm. People, again, don't want to hear that. No. It's like, wow, they can export or import. It's going to be easy. No, dude, you really need to put some effort into this. When you say importer, exporter, then it brings up another... Throughout my life, when I've, oh, what do you do? So, oh, I, I, you know, help people import, export. And they're like, are you Art Vandalay? Yeah. And I, I'm like, well, I guess I am. Now I say it. <laughs> now, you know, but you've, you've got to know the audience. Because there are some kids that they've never watched well, Seinfeld. Yeah, there's going to be yeah, people like right now. Vandalay yeah. Industries. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Let me look that up. No, no, no. no. <laughs> yes. That's a Seinfeld. Just not. Seinfeld who? Just not no. latex. No, no, not latex. <laughs> So, and I've gotten in throughout the years. Or, yes, people would assume, yeah, I'm, you know, flying on all sorts of planes mm-hmm. and doing this. And, no, there's been peaks and valleys dealing yeah, with it's it. It's a down and dirty job. It really is. And and strangely enough, I still enjoy getting the phone call. So, yeah, if somebody wants to start in trade, Let's just say they just graduated college and they're like, yeah, I want to, maybe they even have international, now there's tons of degrees in international business, is to well, do the entry level. Don't think you're going to come out and start making six figures in international. You do need to work mm-hmm. in it and learn all the hands-on that I got back in the day is just so invaluable now. It's just you couldn't get that from sitting in a classroom. You're right. I learned it. I mean, I've been in banking my whole life, but there are times more than I, more than I would like to remember and recall that I've been out on a call and I've connected with the company, but my boss was furious on the way out because he or she would say, I thought the call was about export business. You start talking about exports and halfway through you start pivoting towards importing so well yeah they need to buy stuff before they could sell it that is an excellent point and that has been throughout my career too that well how do you think you got the components to make what you're shipping out uh you have to source it That was also another pivot of mine. I didn't just learn about the export side Mm -hmm. is, oh, we got to sort, we're sourcing stuff. Where are places that I've worked or what have you? And we got to bring stuff in Mm -hmm. too. Which was completely lost on me. And it's it's kind of the same thing, just in reverse, Mm -hmm. but there's different procedures and different things you got to know on that side. The trap is we're making money on the export side. I never bothered to meet with the person two offices over that did the the sourcing. Yep. Guess what? Because they didn't need me for the sourcing, but maybe I should have learned about it. You should have learned about it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, they they source raw materials to sell finished Mm -hmm. product. Maybe that would have been the way to go. Where is it coming from? Mm -hmm. And then is there's, you know, Mm -hmm. supply, the supply chain. Oh, there's the big term. But yeah. product development, right? We talk about, you know, I've been involved in product development, not because I dreamed up a product. It's because it was a need. We have a customer call or a prospect call. And rather than look at that and say, geez, that's a far-fetched, crazy process. 
And I worked with someone in another bank that said, you know, Ralph, we should take that crazy idea and make a product out of it. I'm like, oh, that's an interesting. So take an idea from a client or prospect of it and just create a new product. And that was kind of a revelation for me. It's like, well, wait a second. I'm supposed to be the smart one here. (laughs) Who's going to bring me an idea? And I don't think you'll get a lot of people to admit this, but a lot of product development or new products came from ideas to adapt to what clients need. Mm -hmm. Oh, that word adapt. Mm -hmm. I like that word. Yeah, because in international, you have to be able to adapt and adapt your product as well to it, which that's a whole nother, that's going to be a whole episode in itself. But so sitting here and talking about from the grassroots of Mm -hmm. how I began and where I am now sitting here at a podcast and we're reminiscing and we're talking through things. That is the focus Mm -hmm. of this podcast is we're going to, we're going to be going through various topics. Sometimes you'll be here. Sometimes you won't other Trade experts. Very specific, right? Very specific trade experts will be on here that you'll hear firsthand on their side of whatever the topic is. So we're going to wrap it up today. Okay. Ralphie, thank you so much for being part of the very first podcast. And we're going to have fun. Everything went so well, technically. Sure. Once we figured it out. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. That's all the time that we have for this week's episode. You want to dive deeper into this topic, see some behind the scenes, and also know all of our various other social media platforms, please go to the YouTube channel, Shut Up and Go Trade. Remember to subscribe, put your comments, questions, anything you want to throw at us. And who knows, maybe we'll even ask you to be on the show sometime. Until then... Everybody take care and shut up and go trade.